What up, son? What up? Grind and pivot, Louis Max. In comedy, Brett Eidman is a Swiss Army knife. He's been Bozo the Clown. He was one of the most popular DJs on the New York City bar bot mitzvah circuit. He has done stand-up, sketch. He has gone places in comedy where few have gone. Now Brett is a subject of an award-winning short documentary film in the name of comedy, which is available on Amazon Prime. I got the chance to speak with Brett about his past, his unique career path, and his viral video, which turned everything upside down. Hope you enjoy it. Peace. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. What up, son? What up? Louis Max Grind and Pivot. Today, we have a character who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. A great entertainer, a superstar salesman, and an all-out funny guy in the name of comedy, Mr. Brett Eidman. How you doing, my man? Good. How are you, Louis? Thank you so much for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. I've been juiced up ever since Mr. John Hart. Shout out, Mr. John Hart. The legendary John Hart. The legendary in his own mind, John Hart. Absolutely. How you making out with uh, all this crazy challenging unrest and COVID stuff for the last couple of months? Talk to me a little it's, bit. Um, it's been a little crazy uh, um, in, a, in a weird way. Um, there's a part of it that I kind of am enjoying that the world has slowed down a little bit. And I thought, I thought like life was like passing by so fast that um, it kind of like came to a screeching halt. And, and, and in a way I was kind of happy because I, I'm working on some things that I felt like I was falling behind. And this, this whole pandemic thing kind of, you know, was like, all right, gives me a chance to catch up a little bit. Um, I don't like to wear the mask when, when I have a cold, you know, that just, um, it's like a snot generator. <laughs> and um it's really i mean i used to do that when i used to do bozo the clown well maybe we'll get into that later but, oh, we but definitely I, will. I used to wear this red nose and, and if you're if you had a running nose i mean that that nose would fill up and and it was pretty disgusting <laughs> but um yeah so we're, we're getting through this thing i think it's getting better in our area i mean other parts of the country are seeing you know the in increases but but uh i think we're gonna get there we'll we'll get there with time Absolutely. So, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you uh, about the halt in life a little bit. Unfortunately, of course, you know, everybody's getting sick. We don't want the older folks and everybody, people getting uh, sick at all. But I will say probably like you and I, uh, it gave us a chance to stop for a second and take hold of what's going on. I was loving it um, because uh, I love social distancing. It was a beautiful thing. I was I'm, I was prepared for this, and at the same time, uh, it was like I could stop for the last forty years. Haven't really stopped, you know, right. for for uh, working, going crazy, the actual grind. And you're right. Uh, you were able to kind of catch up on some of those projects that you weren't really able to do, which I know. Right. It reminds me of, um, uh, I remember back in 2006 when my dad passed away and it was a whole big scene at his house. And, and, and I ran and I was in the ambulance with him going to the hospital, but he already was gone. Mm -hmm. And I remember like at that time, um, that looking outside of the ambulance, watching people doing what they do all the time, that my world stopped and theirs kept going. And I'm like, you people have some nerve. Like, <laughs> don't you know 
right. you know, that I am in pain here and I'm, or, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going through a really rough time right now. I don't know how this is, you know, and, um, and then life didn't miss a beat. The world didn't miss a beat. And, you know, it's kind of weird, you know, to when you want to just say, you know, stop for a moment and let's, let's regroup and think about things and, 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 you know, maybe smell the roses a little bit, you know, um, but, um, yeah, that was the only time, like, uh, when I wanted the world to completely stop and, or maybe even go back a minute, you know, mm, yeah, just to course. go back to a, a better time. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. No, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. I, I'm hoping that there will be some change, uh, starting now. It's going to take a long, long time, but let's hope, let's hope for the best. Yeah. So uh, I know you got a few uh, irons in the fire. One is a classic one, which I'm going to discuss later. Um, but you've done a, a variety of things uh, throughout your career. Did you always aspire to be a comedian slash entertainer? And did you really just want to be famous? Um, I think I think everybody wants to be famous, um, especially as a kid, you know, um, I mean, I was never the, you know, the kid at school that says, oh, I want to be a fireman when I get older. I want to be a cop when I get older. No, I, didn't, I really didn't know how to answer that question. You know, and um, um, when I was in elementary school, I was watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and going to bed really late and waking up and going to school. And, and um, I remember getting in trouble in the lunchroom and, and the lunch lady like putting me up on a stage. And, and I and I like, wow, now I'm in front of people. This is like I'm in heaven. <laughs> you know, and then so I started to bring in like little magic tricks and that really ticked them off because now now I'm entertaining the whole crowd. But I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be embarrassed that I did something wrong to be up on a stage. And I was like enjoying it. They kicked me out of the lunchroom and then they sent me down to the principal's office. And I liked the principal. So that wasn't a, a punishment either. So I, I ate lunch with my principal. He's a really great guy. I used to have to bring him. I, had to, I used to have to bring him chocolate bars. Um Remember those marathon bars they had course, like years ago? Course, yeah, so he course. liked those. So I used to bring those to, to lunch every day, and he just wanted those. And we sat and we had a great time. Right? Did he nice get? Man. He got? He got you? Did he understand yeah. where you were coming from? But back then, he the what could he do? He was playing both sides. Really, he had to. right? And he said, oh, "You know, I'm a little, I'm a little off. I'm a, you know, <laughs> I had the learning disabilities and stuff, and I was hyperactive, and um, I didn't understand anything that was going on in the classroom." You know, there, I, I kind of had the feeling there were bright kids and then there were stupid kids. And I was kind of like in a stupid group. And yeah. I just like just accept that. Um, and then finally, they, you know, they, they start, you know, my, my parents like ran around like crazy having me tested and, and going to all these different different people, you know, to have me tested. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, there's one guy they sent me to was, um, you know, um, he was an Asian guy and <laughs> I get in trouble again. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh oh. Um, Stop the presses. Yeah. So he he um so he was going to test me. I, mm. I was at a hospital. It was at a local hospital. How old? How old? How old? Oh God, I was. Um, what grade? What grade? Go by grade, like fourth really. Fourth grade. Oh, so okay. That's early. Okay, fourth grade. Fourth, Go ahead. Fourth to fifth. Okay. So um in Brooklyn. No, it was happening up in Rockland County. Already up there. Yeah, wow. I was already up here. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. I didn't do good in Brooklyn either. I mean, it was my, my grades were terrible, but they thought like, well, you know, maybe he'll, 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 it will, you know, kick in at some point. So, um, this doctor is asking me, like, he goes, um, he says, tell me what this means to you. I said, okay. He says, and he's like, people in grass houses shouldn't throw stones. (laughs) 
So I'm like, people in grass houses shouldn't throw stones. And I'm like, you know what? I know what people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I know what that means. I think this is a trick question. So I said to the doctor, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So he says, I'll be right back. He goes out and tells my parents that, you know, Brett doesn't understand simple concepts. And my parents say, like, we have an example. And they said, you know, people in grass houses shouldn't throw stones. Oh like, right, let's go home. <laughs> right. Wrong. <laughs> like, wrong. Uh, this is not yeah, going to fit. This, this is, is not, not going to fit. This is not going to be good. Wow. Yeah, so, that's um, amazing. By the way, just think, yeah. just hearing that story, to me, you're way ahead of the curve. You know, nobody, you know, back then they don't, I, I think people just didn't realize it or, you know, educators, I'm, I'm not going to go of what I think about certain educators. My mom was a teacher, but there were My certain things. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. no, no disrespect to the teachers out there. Those who do do and so forth and so on. But, um, I don't think they realized back then or no. either what really they had, um, in certain kids and certain different personalities. So that, that, so yeah, I think that's pretty funny in fourth grade. That's a, that's pretty amazing. So go back for a second on the TV. Cause you were up late watching Carson, like a lot of people like myself as well, of course, um, you know, honeymooners and all that stuff back then. But Carson, who on the show do you remember was really a, uh, a major influence besides Carson? Well, I loved Rodney Dangerfield. Okay, fantastic. And when, when, when Don Rickles would come right, out, I right. thought he was the Hilarious. greatest. Hilarious, of course. And um, those are the people, and George Carlin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those are the people that I really had to stay up late for. Right. You know, if they were going to bring out Mac Davis or something like that, I could, I could go to bed. You know, but but I... <laughs> But I, but with the comedians, I just love the comedians and, and, um, Robert Klein, those, those guys, you know, it's just, they were entertaining, you know, for me, you know, as a kid watching two people talking, wasn't all that fun. Right. But right. when somebody came out and make Johnny laugh and carrying on and everything else, you know, um, that was fun. They were having fun. Yeah, so it seemed, it's a, fun. yeah, absolutely. It seemed like that. Where Wickles, yeah. of course, Rodney was was classic. Um, David Brenner uh, at at one point. I mean, all those guys. Even the even with the women, with Carol Wayne, right. and uh, you know, and McMahon was you know a four, even Doc. What about right. Doc and Tommy Newsom? You're right. Yeah, uh, it's a great combination. It, it was a great combination. Okay, so the old school guys like Rickles, Hackett, all those guys when they came out, it was a party. Right. And um, they they understood that this is an entertainment show. You know, you can't have a serious interview with somebody that goes a minute and a half, two minutes. You know, it, it, it's not going to be. So they say, you know what? We know this is not really going to be much of an interview. So we're going to come out here and do shtick. And they were great. They were very well prepared and they killed. Yeah, absolutely. You know? 100 percent. And you said the right word, I think. Entertainment. Right. That's really what they were. Of course, they were com- they were you know comedic guys. Some of the guys more acted. Even when Dean came out, oh, Frank great. came out, Angie. I mean, when they all came out, it was Bert oh, you're right. Bert, <laughs> Bert was great, absolutely. When they all came out, and you knew Carson was going to attack, it was such a beautiful thing. So they they would just kind of lay right into the into his path, and and it would be over. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still have friends now. We, we, you know, we talk about Carson. A good friend of mine is, you know, he he tells me Carson's on now, I think, on one of the cable shows late night. He goes, big show tonight, Carson, so-and-so is on. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I, you know, I I remember it. Absolutely. So let's go back to the beginning. So you grew up basically in Brooklyn, but then you you went uh, up to Rockland County as you as you uh, just going told us. Grade. Right. Yeah, so going, going into fourth, fourth grade, grade your, your parents said uh, basically Brooklyn was getting a little crazy. You were having right. a little couple of little problems, possibly going to the suburbs or upstate uh, Westchester, Rockland would be better for you, correct? Yeah, they also, they, they felt that I was being lost in the shuffle, like, you know, in um, in the public schools there. Um, and also that it, it was not as safe anymore. It was getting mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted... Um, for me, they wanted me to learn and they wanted me to be safe. And, and they felt like they weren't getting that there. So we ran away. And uh, people that were living in Brooklyn at the time, they would either run to Long Island, they would run to Jersey or Westchester, Rockland, you know, they all ran away. Uh, some people stuck it out. And uh, and now, and if you stuck it out, now you're living in a really happening place. You know, Brooklyn <laughs> Tell is, me about is it. it. Tell me. Brooklyn's you know? off the charts. I mean, yeah. uh, what what part of Brooklyn do you did you actually grow up in? Do you remember the section, the area? Well, they used to call it, I guess, the Bay Ridge section. Oh, I know Bay Ridge. Okay, so Bay Ridge, yeah. yeah. It was tight. I mean, it was changing. It's still okay, but yeah. I got you. It's a little rough, you know. I think your parents probably were more concerned uh, about you just blossoming in a different environment. Thinking back now, I'm sure you look back on it too, because Bay Ridge is still probably okay, but it's it was a lot going on. Back then, it was, there was a lot going on in all areas. I so, have a, I'll just tell you, there was a yeah. friend of mine who lived across the alley, but you don't hear that much in Rockwell County. Nobody says alley. No, tell so me uh, this this kid, Steven, and, uh, you know, once again, I'm really little, and um, his, his last name was Tartaglia, and um, I had no idea. I'm a little kid. What's going on? But he was the first one on the block to have everything. You know, he was the first first person to have um, a, oh. a TV and a console. Oh, Bay, oh, Bay Ridge, Bay Ridge. Yeah, oh, yeah. see you at Tartaglia. I, I think I get it. I get you this. Know, Go yeah, ahead. I, I mean, he had air conditioning in his house. I yeah. Mean, and he had he had the first guy to have a color TV set. He had this. He had that. I mean, all the best games you can get. And like, wow, they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, that's still going I had on. no idea. It's right. nice to be young and, and ignorant. It really is. It, it, absolutely. Youth is wasted on the young, as, as right. they say. So your dad, um, I know he was a real special guy. Um, I know a little bit about him and, um, tell us a little bit about him a little bit more. So what was his influence in you? And, um, I know he was disabled in a certain way, so maybe you could shed some light on how his what his disability was and how his, you think his disability affected you in any way. Um, my dad, when he turned 13, um, got polio. So he spent two years in a now, – now it's called the Helen Hayes Hospital, or, and it used to be called just the rehabilitation, and it's up in Haverstroy, which is Rockland County also. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he spent two years in the hospital and about, I think about eight months in an iron lung. And while he was in the hospital, he, um, you know, they had different sounds that they would hear when they, they knew when somebody passed away, you would hear, they would close all the doors and then they had to wheel somebody out. Like they had, a, you know, they knew every little, you know, every little noise that would go on in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he, you know, he was one of the lucky ones that, that survived. And, um, and then the other folks that survived ended up 
you know, being handicapped. So my dad had lost use of his right arm. Um, there was muscle in there, but the muscles were dead. So he'd have feeling in it, but he couldn't use it. Um, breathing was always a problem for him. You know, he would have a tough time uh, with breathing because the muscles sure, weren't pulmonary, working properly. Of course. Um, and um, I remember as a kid being a little embarrassed, you know, that I had a father like this. And it used to drive me nuts, like when I would see like other kids laughing at him. I mean, I wanted to beat the shit out of those kids. I mean, yeah. when I saw that, and I used to say, I used to say to my dad, like, like, hey, dad, like, doesn't that bother you? And he says, no. I said, well, how come that doesn't bother you? He says, well, I think they have more problems than I have. Okay. 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 And he always used to, you know, he's always like, little things bother little people. You know, that was the thing that he always used to say. I like that. Yeah. I mean, so there was always like, he always had an answer for for, for everything. Um, And he's very, he was a very funny guy. Um, I mean, a a huge heart. Um, And then as I got older, I started to, I mean, you know, my friends were going to play ball with their, with their parents, you know, their fathers in the, in the park and everything. I can never do that. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, my friends never even like really like talked to their father. I used to sit down and actually have conversations with my dad, very interesting conversations and, um, and fun conversations. And it, and he would be the person you'd go to if you wanted a real answer to something, a real thought out answer, not, you know, some, you know, hogwash, you know, and, um, so as I got older, I, I started to appreciate him more and more because of who he was and, and not his handicap. And then I got to the point where I didn't care if anybody was looking at him because I just didn't, I just didn't, didn't, you know, go ahead, look at him. You yeah, know. it doesn't matter. Of yeah, course. Go ahead. You of course, look, look. of course, of course. But I mean, there's been times you go in a restaurant where people are asked to change their tables because they didn't want to look at him. Really? Even though he wasn't a bad looking guy, but he was just, he was just disabled. Yeah, so what? Yeah, so some people have, you know, all kinds of issues. But um, uh, yeah, he was amazing, and and um, he always encouraged me to do whatever I, I'd, you know, that I'd want to do. So he's always he was great. So he was a he was a pretty pretty big in, in influence. Uh, uh, huge. How about how about um, f- did he share the same love for uh, show business and entertainment? Not not as a person who wanted to be necessarily, but someone who appreciated. You know, um, comedy, music, arts, per se. Right. Well, he really enjoyed comedy. And I remember in 1975, he told me, like, he says, you got to watch these guys on TV on Saturday night. You got this. You have to check these guys out. They are really, really funny. And I said, all right, well, we'll check them out. And, um, you know, it was the original cast of SNL. Wow. And um, um, my dad was into it before they even got popular. You know, and I think SNL didn't get popular until they started winning Emmy Awards, you know. And, yeah, and, I remember in the later 70s. You know, that's 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 amazing that your old man turned right. you right. on to Saturday Night Live. You know, it's funny because your father and I mean, my father was born in the 20s uh, 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 and uh, maybe your dad was uh, maybe um, 30s. You're 30. Okay. My, 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 yeah. my father-in-law is in 1935. So, and, and in Brooklyn, by the way. But, um, so I'm trying to just think of all the, uh, influences back then. That's, that's pretty hip. Yeah. That your dad actually turned, you know, and it wasn't something like any sort of generation gap right there. Yeah. I mean, he was into like when he was younger, like, you know, uh, Mort Saul and, and Dick Gregory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dick Cavett and, and, you know, Lenny, those, Lenny. Yeah. Lenny. Um, yeah, actually they, they, they thought he was great. Um, so, um, 
you know, that really it was an influence, you know, and, and even as a little kid, I remember, you know, getting comedy albums, you know, Class Clown, George Carlin, and, and, um, and uh, Cheech and Chong's uh, Big uh, Bamboo. Now, uh, wait know. a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. I ha- I sh- you, sh- I sh- you should have told me. I have the vinyl. I still have it. Wow. And I, because I have a lot of records. I you was the rolling paper in there? Yeah, I, I might. I might actually. I have the original Bamboo. Actually, Up in Smoke was on a couple of weeks ago. And I caught it late night and I, my, you know, I'm laughing so loud. It's, you know, it's obviously juvenile, but classic. But funny. Right. And, yeah. But funny. And a- when they absolutely. think, when they, when they talk about great comedy teams, you very rarely hear Cheech and Chong. Like, <laughs> and they really should be, they really should be, you know, one of the great comedy teams of all time. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We might get we might get hammered on that, but uh, you know, I have to say, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, when, you know, what are they? There's so many. There were so many back well, then. But, Stephen Eady. Right. Oh, Stephen Eady, tremendous, tremendous. They very, really very, hilarious. very funny. Very, very funny. And they could really sing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about like, like, like Burns and Schreiber, you know, Smothers Brothers. Smothers oh, Brothers. Bro. You, you, Smothers Brothers fan? Great. Yes. Yeah, what? really awesome. Yeah, I love them. Uh, what about like Laughing? You love, were you a Laughing was, fan? I was okay. I was, right. I was all right with that. Right. Exactly. I, um, I mean, I, what I remember, like, I, I mean, my my favorite sitcom was always All in the Family. Yeah, of course. You know, I just thought that was just brilliant and um, so well done. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, but I like all that stuff. Right, absolutely. You know, it's done right. So when did you start to perform, really? Uh, when um, I was, uh, let's see, in my early, well, I became a DJ. Um, oh, so you came a DJ prior first, to any of first. the? Okay, so you did the DJ thing first. Okay, because right, I, I didn't know if that. I my act together when I was fifteen, and then I did my first gigs when I was sixteen. Right, and then I did that for, I don't know, uh, twenty-eight years or something like that. Right. Okay, so you did the DJ thing, the bar mitzvahs, the weddings, bar the, mitzvahs, the, pit, weddings. the parties, the whole nine yards. Okay. Yeah, I did about three thousand and change uh, bar mitzvahs and weddings, and okay, you name it, I did it. Right. So, you know, I know I happen to know, I think I mentioned that I happen to know that whole scene twofold. Mm. One, my dad was an arranger and he had an office and he he played weddings, bar misses, that whole nine yards as a as a band leader. But also um, my real business is uh, the promotional items business, T-shirts and all that. And I was doing a ton of bar and bar mitzvah for mm. favors. So I'm sure, you know, what that is all about. The DJs used to give Absolutely. stuff out, obviously, but you would buy the stuff themselves. But I'd have to deal, just like you, with the Meshuggana parents, which is, I think, a hep- an episode by itself. Yes, definitely. I remember, I remember sitting at a table with the bar mitzvah <laughs> families and them arguing over what song they were playing. Oh, right. When, when they call, called them up to the, the, lighting, the, you know, the candle lighting ceremony. It was a big deal. Uh, and I'm like uh, back and forth, and, and and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this. And 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 then they say, well, what about Grandma? What what is she going to come up to? They start <laughs> arguing about that. Then they get on the phone to call Grandma, oh, yeah. and oh. they're arguing with her on the phone. And then they hang up the phone. I said, well, what did Grandma say? Well, she's on her way over. So I'm like, oh great. <laughs> That's so great. Like, oh, I'm going to be here for six hours. Oh yeah, I know. When I was, I used to um, deal with the people face to face back in the day, and um, the kid would be there. You know, the kid's twelve, thirteen. They don't want to deal, and they, and the mother's picking everything out. Blah blah blah. And, I, and I'm like, uh, what do you want, Seth? What what would you like? And then you, you get a little bit out, and the kid comes out with something completely different. 
And then they end up getting that, you know, right. it's, it's really, the, thank God for the internet towards the end, because even though I had to deal with them, you know, I dealt with them more through email and, and proofing and, 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 and virtually, but they're still totally, totally crazy. You had to deal with them straight up. So I oh, can't yeah. imagine. And, and, um, and I did all that advertising specialty stuff. I used to, you know, hand out DJ bread hats and uh, right. I had yo-yos, I had little mirrors, I had exactly. keychains, um, beach balls and, and, uh, t-shirts. I mean, bumper stickers. Exactly. I mean, I have right. all that stuff. I mean, uh, and, um, you know, and my dad talked me into, to, to doing that. Like he said, you know, cause I was just going to write, just order stuff from like, like an Oriental trading. trading or, right. Right. Or Rhode Island know, novelty. Or, uh, Rhode, Rhode Island, Island novelty. Yeah, order from them all the time too. Right. And, um, he says, but you should give people something with your name on it. So you, they don't know, know who you are. Put your phone number on there too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started doing that. And then also like, when I became a DJ and, and he backed it up, like I told him my idea, you know, and as a kid, I was always telling my parents like, you know, Oh, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. And then when I, and they would say, well, are you sure you want to do that? You know, one, one idea was like, you know, I want to build park benches and, and, and we'll sell them in the backyard, you know? And I'm, they're like, eh, I don't know. Do you really want to do that? All right. Maybe I don't. So, so when I saw another DJ really bizarre, I saw this, this DJ that I loved the guy's in jail now. Oh really? But, but, uh, yeah. Not Yahtzee, not DJ Yahtzee. No, 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 no. I know who that is too. Right. No, I know. Because you did you, you used to advertise in the the guide, right? In the in some of those magazines, right? A couple of them over the years. Yeah, you know. me too. I used to do yeah. it too. Right. Yeah. Um so I saw this guy and um and I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was mm -hmm. and, and the DJ was playing songs during the, the band's breaks and he got the crowd going more than the band did, and the band sure. was great. Sure. So I said, that's what I want to do. And when I told my parents, they were like, okay. And I said, look, I'm going to go to parties. They're going to pay me. They're going to do this. Da, 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 da. And they were like, okay. And and my parents basically, you know, said, do you really want to support Brett in this, this venture? You know? And my dad's like, yeah, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? He'll have great audio equipment, you know? So, <laughs> right. you know, so let him do it, let him try it. And yeah. I did. And it became very, very successful. I made a lot of money with Absolutely. it during the eighties. Absolutely. Um, and um, they supported it all the way. And then my dad was like, how are you going to be different than the next guy? Why should they book you over somebody else? He said, you got to be different. We're going to build you a DJ booth. So we built a, a DJ booth and none of the other DJs had booths. Yeah, right. To, the, to this right. day, right. I really, really think they took my dad's design and ran with it. It was never patented or anything. And uh, because I saw a whole bunch of DJs, they would just put their equipment on top of a table and that was the end of it. And um, I do think he was the first guy to build a, a DJ booth back in 1978, 79, somewhere around there. And um, um, and then also I started to wear hats, you know, different types of hats when I was playing. And I would play a tambourine. I was trying to do like the Chuck Barris thing from, from Gong Show. Of course. And um, so that's, I wanted to become an entertainer. I wanted to become a personality because anybody can play records. Agreed. And that's what I did. Agreed. Agreed. No, yeah. I, I, absolutely. I mean, and that's what's going to make make the difference. And you're right. Uh, you you get the party going. You do that. You mean a good band always does. You know, a good wedding band still rocks. Um, sometimes right. now I see some of the DJs at the weddings. You know, they're not really involved as much. They're just kind of playing the music. Some are. Some aren't. I'm not saying, but you always remember. Uh, you always remember the DJ or some, even if it was a band leader. You remember the front guy, and as a as a uh, an entertainer, whether or not you know. So he, the band leader could sometimes sing great, but he had somebody else that sang great, 
and he would do all his shtick, you know, come up, right. cut the holler, the whole nine yards, and he would run the party. And that was, I think, so you were able to really do that. So again, through the thing I'm seeing here, pivotal moments, you know, you pop. Your dad, yeah, really. And for, and for a guy who had oh. learning disabilities, I did okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, welcome this, back, Carter, was a learning disabled class. <laughs> love, love the sweat hogs. Yeah, the, love, the, one the of my favorites. Was, that's the kind of class they would throw you in if you had issues. Yes, yes. They didn't know. Yeah. They didn't know. It was, whether it was something new, you know, back then they, they didn't know. I'm sure now they have many, many more programs. Still not sure how they're assessing. Uh, it could be better in some ways, but obviously in some ways uh, it's not. But I think that it's much broader now and, and you know, hopefully people, kids are, get, are getting a little better attention. So I wanted to, so, so the DJ was first. So you're rocking and rolling with the DJ. Right. Things are good. You're making some bread. Uh, things are good. What about the career as far as uh, taking it to like another level? Did you always have that desire underneath to say, I really need to get to the next rung. Yeah, I thought I was going to be discovered as a, as a DJ because I was playing even uh, even nightclubs and bars and stuff like that, and I had people buying tickets and and to go to see me, you know. So I'm thinking like, wow, you know, I'm really popular, and and, and um, how come I don't get discovered like to do something? And I mean, I've had I've had radio personalities would would talk about me on the air, and I'm like, oh, geez, now now I'm really going to get famous. And no, you know, and, and, and now you understand that if somebody sees you as a DJ, they see you as a DJ. If I was in the corner playing spoons, they'd say, oh, that guy plays the spoons. They wouldn't think, oh, that guy playing the spoons. I bet he would be really great at, uh, at directing television. You know, like they won't, they won't put that together. Yeah. You yeah, know, so yeah. whatever they see is whatever is that, that's all that's in their head. So I thought I was going to get discovered, you know, but I, I wanted to do more with that. And I, I, I tried some radio gigs um, and then eventually I, I, you know, I tried stand up comedy. Okay. So before that, so the radio gig, uh, radio gig, kind of like what we're doing now, like talking S to people, like talk similar. radio or. Yeah. It was a little talk radio and I also did some of the music things in, uh, Oh really? Um, local, like a local station. Yeah. Local. Right. Was, I mean, it was one local station, a really, really small station that I tried to work for. And then the guy said, look, you can't start at the top. And I'm like, this is the top. Yeah, they're right, <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah, right. I thought this was the bottom. Right. You know, um, but I did work at a, a couple of stations for a very short period of time. And I could never make any money. No, there's no money involved. It was more so for I was the... like, well, how am I going to pay the, for my gas and whatever to get here? You know, so right. there was like no money in it. And I kept trying to look for jobs with, you know, where I could make a couple bucks. Not not happening. Right. You know, so um, I continued DJing and, and it's where I made my money. And then I started to, uh, you know, take acting classes and start, right. you know, getting a little bit of the buzz of, of uh, or, you know, things are popping into my head that I'm, geez, I, I like to entertain. I really, I love that. Right. So you're honing your skills a little bit more and um, comedy was obviously a natural fit for you. Yeah. Um, was it? I was, I was funny. Yeah. Was it? No, it was. It was. Okay. I, I was a funny kid. I, um, there were things that I would do that. Even at the dinner table, I would be able to impersonate different people and you know crack up the family. Mm -hmm. um, then, like even in high school, I remember like setting up some gags, but I didn't actually do the gag. But I told somebody else to do it. I would talk somebody else into doing the stupid thing. Imp impractical jokers. Yeah, pretty much. You know. <laughs> and um, 
you know, so I was kind of the guy who could orchestrate the joke, you know, and, um, and I, but I always had a sense of humor, you know, and I would even use that in my DJ business as long as it was appropriate for the, the, the audience that I was playing. For. Yeah. Yeah. That you could do. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So you, you're honing your skills, uh, take this, paint the picture a little bit about, um, how you kind of got into being stand up is that in terms of chronologically uh was the opportunity with SNL which we'll get into was that pre, was that around this time or first it was No it was it was later. Okay so give us take us take us chronologically a little bit of when the entertainment/comedy started coming into power. Okay, um I guess I was in my early 20s when um the DJ business was really rolling was doing great. Yeah. And then I said, you know, if, you know, if I could talk in front of a crowd, you know, there's probably other things I could do in front of a crowd. And I was always, I always loved comedy. I, oh, I forgot to mention Richard Belzer was also like a guy that I just loved. You know, I thought he was funny as hell. Love Bells, love Bells. Yeah, the Bells. And, um, and I remember seeing him, you know, a whole bunch of times down in the city and, and, and um, just loving his work because it was just so sarcastic and so, so raw and, you know, just great, great, great comedian. Um, so I decided that I'm going to, put some material together there's there was an open mic locally um and i said i'm gonna give it a shot and because being young and inexperienced i told my family and friends that i'm going to be doing comedy that night you know and you know right. want to come out and see me nyack or new city or uh, Pearl River? Did, nickelodeon valley valley, valley mr pip mr pips yeah i think it was, it was mr rips Mr. Rips. Pips was out in, I think, uh, long, um, where was Pips? In oh, Brooklyn I don't know. You think? Um, but Mr. Rips. Mr. Rips in Valley Mr. College. Okay. I remember seeing yeah. it in the good times. You used, used to see, yeah. uh, yep. okay. Yep. Okay. So um, go ahead. So I guess so I get some material together and I have my family and friends there and all of a sudden, like they said, Oh, our next guy, you know, you know, Brett Eidman, as I'm walking up to the stage, I'm like, Oh my God, I was, I was terrified. Of course. Um, and meanwhile, there's all people that I know there, and I've been a DJ for years already, and now, like, all of a sudden, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm crashing here, you know, so I did my, I, I did my act, it was terrible, um, but, you know, family and friends just say, yeah, you did pretty good, you know, no, right. I didn't. They, yeah, you know, they, they, they'll love you no matter what. It's terrible. And it was all shit humor, you know, it was just like, you know, stupid uh, comparing going to the bathroom to a log flume, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, gotcha. it was just really ridiculous. Right. Lowbrow stuff. And, um, so I, I, I did that there. And then I went to a couple of other places that were like makeshift, you know, comedy nights, you know, and at a, like a regular pub and I got really discouraged, um, because I wasn't getting the laughs, I, nobody was paying attention. Um, it was just, just hell. So I said, all right, I'm going to let this rest for a while. You know, I'm going to give up for a while and I continue DJing. And then I said, you know what? I want to give comedy another shot. Okay. But, I want to go to comedy clubs. I don't want to go to makeshift places and pubs and stuff. I want to go to real comedy. So I started to um, research places in Connecticut, and um, I saw some comedy clubs that, that that had open mic night, and you had to audition to get in. I was like, wow, that's not really like a real open mic, but it's okay. So I went over and saw the show, and I thought these guys were great. And I said, I'd love to get in this, because now I would have a steady place to work out material, so I auditioned and the, the owner said, come back whenever you want. Really? Okay. So yeah, he, he dug, I, he dug I, you. I, yeah. And then, you know, and I'm, I'm on, I'm the same bill with Lisa Lampanelli and, and, and Jim Gaffigan. 
Um, wow. All these guys are all doing open mic nights, you know, together and um, never thinking that any of us would, would make it. Um, oh, that's a great story. Especially Jim, like, like when Lisa too. Um, it was a couple <laughs> other people that were better than, than all I like Jim. I, I know you're saying, I, I, yeah, Jim really got his act together. Um, Jim's great. I, I love him. I love yeah. him. I love him. Uh, he really is a nice guy too. I, yeah, I, um, he seems like it. I don't know him, but he seemed like it. Obviously. I talked to him once in a blue moon, but I, but I, uh, right. since wow. he's got so busy, he's not paying much attention to me anymore. Yeah. But, um, he's a, he's a, he's a really good guy. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and Lisa, I talked to once in a while too, but, um, I didn't see those coming, you know, and there was another guy that used to do comedy with us who was fantastic. And, um, he gave it up real quick. So I was like, wow, he gave it up. The guy that all of us think is going to make it. Right. You know, right. but, um, well, you have to sack. I mean, you do have to sack. First of all, you got to have balls. Right. You got to have big balls, I think. And you had the big balls. Look, you went out there and you actually did it. You know, the DJ thing is, is a different story. It's not, you can't, it might prepare you in terms of experience for getting in front of people and playing stuff. But this is really, you know, you're going out there naked and uh, it's brutal, as you know, as you know. So you, you can't had, hide behind the microphone stand. Can't hide. So the you know, balls. The DJ, if you have nothing to say, you put a song on. Yeah, put something on and then you'll, yeah. and while the song's uh, playing, you'll, you'll, Hold on a second. Okay, just want to make sure. While the song's playing, you'll think you'll think of something to say in the next round. Of right, course, right. I, of course. But the comedy thing obviously is, is is much different. So that's pretty intense that you guys were all together in the same yeah. at the same time. So you all right. So you had the balls. You uh, you got back on the ba- onto the horse and uh, you continued doing it. You continued. You you were really you're a single guy, obviously at the time. Right. No girl. No no the girlfriends. Yeah, girlfriends, but no no one no one clamping down on you. No, no. Really. Oh, well, there was one. There was one girl I dated that that was ready to get married and stuff, and I wasn't. And I didn't know if it was just me not being ready to get married or me not being ready to marry her. I wasn't sure which yeah, it was. Of but either way, I wasn't ready. Well, you're still young. You're still young, right? You're right. still young. I mean, relatively speaking, but you, yeah. you had you you didn't add that on your radar. Okay, so you're you're willing to basically sacrifice what it's going to take to get there. Uh, and, I, and I don't know. I don't know what that. I don't. I don't know what that is. I don't think anybody knows what how. Like, what do you? What are you sacrificing? Are you ever going to get there? Great question. Great conversation. So. When you see people, let's just say entertainers that make it, quote unquote, make it, some are great geniuses, some are, are not that great, and but they have some sort of intangible, but they're also now willing, when I say sacrifice, willing to do anything, anything, anytime to get to where they want to go, which I think really means sacrificing any real life whether it be money relationship you know i mean i it's a big ego thing also as well but you have to really do that now with comedy i think it's a different game a little bit because you got to basically you have to really be good correct yes or funny or what do you think the intent what do you think those tangible or intangible things that make it for make it for somebody actually being a working comedian um, well, I think they, they're, they, they have to be saying something that the next guy's not saying, mm-hmm. you know, their, their perspective has to be different and it has to really hit home with people. And, and because you could do a million comedy shows and 
the people leave and say, oh, that guy was great. But meanwhile, they forgot the guy's name and they're never going to see him again. And, and but on, if you're fantastic and they, you know, they'll, they're going to say that guy's name, like, oh, we're going to go back. I got to tell my friends about him and then we're going to go back and see him again. You know, that's where that, that's what screws with comedians heads because they can go out and they can kill every night of the week. And uh, still nobody knows who they are. They, they, they forget about them. You know, um, you know, they, they just, there's something there that didn't connect where these people are saying, this guy's that great that I want to tell all my friends about this guy. And I want to come back and see him again. You know, so there's a big, there's different, there's different levels of, of, of killing your audience or, or different levels of how you hit your audience. You know, um, it has to be when people leave the room, they have to say, I got, I can't wait to tell my friends about this guy. Right. You know, that's what has to be there. If they, if, if they just walk out saying, well, that was a funny show and that's the end of it. Not then, enough. Then not enough. That, yeah. Not it's enough. not enough. Now, what do you think? Let's go back into the head of the comedian. I mean, uh, there are comics that are working comics that make money, make good good livings, but not that many people know of them. Let's um, let's talk present day because we're here present day. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not naming names because uh, I know a couple of guys that work the uh, the Orthodox Jewish circuit. You might know them. Yeah. Uh, actually, his name is Modi. You know Modi Rosenthal? Shout out Modi, my brother. Shout out Modi. And I just, you know, they have a niche, quote unquote niche. Now, they're making money and they're doing what they love. But is it, is it twofold? Is it they're making money doing what they love and they're happy with that? Or deep down inside, is it, you know, do you want that accolade, you know, the accolade of being, uh, a household word. Well, it depends on the individual. I right. mean, uh, okay. um, of course. I mean, I used to see, you know, we were talking about, you know, wedding bands and stuff like that. I mean, I used to run into guys playing in wedding bands and they all wanted to be rock stars at some point, you know, and they said, oh, I'm doing weddings, bar mitzvahs. I really would have rather be at Madison square garden tonight, you know? Um, and I think comedians want to be the greatest comedians, you know, that they can be, or be the greatest comedian alive today, you know? Um, but, I think everybody's different. I, I mean, I, I really wanted to be successful. I wanted to be the best that I could. And, um, but I struggled with my standup. I just struggled with it. I struggled with it and I kept doing it, but I struggled. What do you think the reason why, why was, what, what do you think looking back now was the, 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 the main, main struggle? Do you think? The main struggle is, is, um, is, is having a thread going through your act. Um, for me, I was just doing jokes, making the audience laugh. And, and that was kind of it, but there wasn't like, yeah, it has to be real. It has to be based in reality. Like Chappelle. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Like those yes. guys, they like, like something like that. Right. It's got to come from someplace very real. You know, you had like Sebastian Menes- Meniscalco, yeah, who's yeah, the, like the yeah. biggest thing in the world. Like his act. And first of all, there's a guy, you know, who, who, who does it all really well. He's a great writer. He's an amazing performer. He's got a, he's a good looking guy. He's a family guy. I mean, package, nothing, package. He is everything, you know, and if I was an agent or manager, that would be the first guy that I would sign, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand his success, you know? And I think that, um, I mean, I was able to like watch comedians and say, right, I know what they're missing, but I wasn't able to really pinpoint it in myself. Like, 
what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And then they would take comedy classes and all this other stuff. Yeah, and, of and course. Of basically, course. those comedy classes are a waste of time because you're either funny or you're not. And if mm-hmm. you're funny, you can make yourself even funnier. Yeah. Any you know? ment- any mentors? Anybody? Did you lean on anybody? Like, uh, I know it's like friendly mm-hmm. comp, but nobody's really given you. Uh, a couple of people along the way have given me some advice that I thought was really good. There's this uh, one guy who lives out in California named Peter Trocalis, who um, is a comedy writer who I met during open open mics. And um, so one night after a show, I said, you know, Peter, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about my material and see like like what's going on here. So he was looking through, you know, we sat down and, and he says, well, here's this joke needed this, this joke needed that. He said, this, <laughs> jokes, this joke sucks. He said, that's why you're not getting laughs. So I get rid of this joke. And um, I said, well, what, what do you do? He was writing for, for Leno and Letterman. And like, and he says, well, what I do, he says for, for monologue writing is I was, I'm taking, I take two current events and I tried to find a common thread. So to, you know, um, the pandemic would be one. And then, you know, maybe yeah. uh, the, you know, wear your mask or, you know, I, I don't know what the two, you know, but that's what he would do. He'd take two popular current events and what do they have in common? And that's where he's going for the joke. So each one, each person's different. Um, and then, um, you know, then some people would, I, I mean, it was material that I would do that I'd have to ask a certain group of people, you find that offensive or you think I'm okay with it. Mm. And, um, um, and, and most of the time it was like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, right. I did, a, I did an African-American joke in my act that I, I, I cleared with a couple of guys that I know who were African-American, which I didn't even, we didn't even call them African-American back then. It was black guys. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I said to them like, is this offensive or is this okay? Mm-hmm. And they were both like, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I said, right, I'm going to cool. do it. And then one night I did the joke and then I'm walking out of the club and there's some people that wanted to beat the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, you're going to the yeah. parking lot. Yeah. You're always going to take that risk. Do you, yeah. um, so the, yeah. So, so you did the comedy thing. You, did you do, did you ever really work stand up uh regularly to your liking uh, uh sort of i mean yeah. i wasn't making money but i was doing like gigs all over the place right um right. Means and also to an doing end. the open mics and, and 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 grabbing stage time wherever i could how long did you do it for until you said to yourself uh i got to uh, you know it's not really making it for me personally for you personally and i gotta maybe change course because you do you are an entertainer you are funny there are things you can um you there are things you can offer like almost like an mc in a way even though there's probably no real path for that a real new avenue well i mean some guys are great at, at crowd work and um which i which i actually was was really good at you know that's what i think um, you would be yeah, um, that's that was pretty good, but there's like there's no money in that. That's None. the least amount of money. The headline is getting paid, you know, hopefully decent money, and then the middle act gets a little less, you know. And the MC is like, yeah, throw the MC a couple of bucks. So I was always tossed, like you know, I was trying to get, it's almost like you're always trying to get something else. Whatever you're doing, you want to be someplace else. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the uh, commercial photographers that I used to know, they wanted to get into the wedding and bar mitzvah business. The bar mitzvah wedding business guys want to get into commercial photography. Everybody <laughs> wants to be someplace else. Right. You know, right. so um, that's, um, that's true. So I wanted, you know, I wanted to be John Belushi. I wanted to be, and I was like, I'm doing stand up. I did some improv in, in New York City with a, an organization called Chicago City Limits. Mm-hmm. I think they may be still around, but not not doing much. Definitely hard. Because there's all these other improv companies and mm-hmm. stuff. And, um, sure. 
But I was like, I don't know. This doesn't seem like it's the stuff they're doing on Saturday Night Live. So um, one time, you know, I'm thinking like, where where are my heroes from? Bill Murray, where's he from? Where, where where's John Belushi from? Where's Gil Doradna from? Where's where's all these guys? Where where'd they come from? They're not stand up comedians, so you know they come from the Chicago Second City. Correct. So um, I said I got to go out there because that's where I really feel that I fit. That's where I belong because that's the kind of comedy I want to do more than stand up, more than than anything. I want to be John Belushi. Okay, so. I I totally get it. So it's like sketch comedy and uh, making people laugh that way, which is great. And there is a, there is an avenue for that, or there was. Um, when is this? So when is this? This is Chicago. What year is this? How old are you? Late eighties. All right. So this is already. Oh, so it's late eighties, and uh, I know the age already. So and you're still single. Yes. You're still single at this point. Okay, yes. so late 80s, you're still single, you're a young guy. Um, take, paint it. Let's hear it. Okay, let's hear so, it. So I, um, I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, let's go to Chicago and let's go see the Second City. I'd like to see where it is. I'd like to see, I'd like to talk to some people and everything else. So uh, she says, okay, you know, right, you're paying for the ticket. <laughs> of course. So I'll go. Um, so we flew out to Chicago and, and I went to the Second City and I was like, wow, this is where, you know, I'm standing outside the place going, oh, my God, this is like, you know, this is it, you know. Thanks so much for listening. Big shout outs to the crew behind the scenes. John Hart, Ian Lidovich, Russ McMahon, and of course, my wife, Jill. Don't forget to smash that like button, comment and subscribe and follow at Grind and Pivot. You already know we appreciate you. Later, son.